Israel. This is what God instituted for them under that first moment for their sins. And it was something, and this was the service of God that they did. Now, we don't do those things today, do we? We don't sacrifice animals. In fact, um, you know, we would be, it would be wrong. It would be very blasphemous for any of us to go and sacrifice a lamb or something like that as atonement for our sins. We wouldn't, we wouldn't do any of those things. We found that, and, but here's the thing, why not? I mean, if it was okay then, why isn't it okay now? Well, it's because some things changed. Some things changed, and that's what we're seeing in the book of Hebrews. He's showing us what has changed. So let's keep reading. It says, but in the second went the high priest alone, <clears throat> once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people, the Holy Ghost. This signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. So the way into the holiest of all, we see it was not by a priest going into the Holy of Holies. Now, when that priest did that, God was pleased with that because that's what God had told them to do. That was all that they understood at that time. But it had not been made manifest. It had not been revealed that the real way, the real holiest that, people need, that someone needed to go into was the one that was in heaven. That hadn't been revealed yet. Now, we know that now because of the book of Hebrews. We know that a high priest needed to enter into that temple in heaven and needed to pour out the blood of a sinless sacrifice on the mercy seat in heaven. That was necessary in order for us to be able to go to heaven one of these days. But it hadn't been manifest yet then. So it was okay for these priests to do this practice. It was what God told them to do. It was all that had been revealed at that time. And so if they trusted in those things, even though it was only a picture of what was to come, Understand their faith in those things save them just like our faith looking back at the sacrifice of Jesus saves us. But we don't look at it that way anymore because more has been revealed, more light has been given to us. And it says that those sacrifices, those things that they did, it says, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. What they did back then wasn't going to actually take away anyone's sins. But God was still pleased with their obedience and their faith when they would do these things. But it says, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. That's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about the real reformation, the real reformation, because you might not a lot of people might not know it, but today it's not Halloween, but today is Reformation Day. Reformation Day, if you're not familiar with that, but Protestants across America today are going to be celebrating the fact that you know the Reformation it took place on October thirty first and fifteen seventeen. That's when Martin Luther went and he nailed those ninety five theses to the uh, door of the All Saints Church there in Wittenberg, and that was a it was a big deal, and he sparked the Reformation where they reformed the Catholic Church. And, I mean, Protestants rightfully uh, see that as their history because they come out of the Catholic Church. These people thought the Catholic Church was a good thing, that it was God's church, but that it just needed reforming. It just had some problems. Okay? Now, true Christians throughout history have rejected the Antichrist Catholic Church. 
That there, there is no, uh, there is no Catholic Church. Okay? There is no universal church. We do not look to Rome. We have never been connected. That we've never been a part of that. That is not our history. But yet, a lot of people try to tell us, you know, Baptist got started in October 31st, 1517. It's like, no, we didn't. We are not a part of that. We are not, uh, we are not a part of the, uh, you know, we're not Protestants. We are never a part of the Catholic Church. And so, but here's the thing though. I, while I reject the teaching that the Baptists came from there, I will admit that the Reformation probably had an impact on Baptist churches because of the fact that you know, the Reformation, it was a real thing where there was a major political shift in the world during that time. It affected a lot of things, but it doesn't necessarily make the Baptist church a product of that. Okay, So, for example, the founding of the United States of America. Did that not change the world? Did it? And, and do you not think that the starting of the United States, where we have religious freedom, that it didn't have an impact on religions across the world? Because now that there's a place where people can go and practice religion as they see fit, that's going to change some things. It takes away a lot of power that the Catholic Church had and even other churches had. When uh, when we got that started, that helped a lot of things. That changed a lot of stuff. But at the same time, too, you could say because of our religious freedom in America, we also had things like the Mormon Church pop up. But would we say the American Revolution is or that the Mormon Church as a result of the American Revolution? No. But the American Revolution kind of made it possible for things like that. And so when you have a major political movement, it's going to affect a lot of things. For example, too, COVID has affected a lot of churches, hasn't it? Hasn't a lot of things changed in a lot of churches just because of COVID? So so just because there was a major religious political and a political movement that happened back in 1517 and that might have had some kind of impact on the Baptist church in one way, shape or another, you know, it doesn't change the fact that we're still not from that. We're still not a part of that. Okay. And so obviously the American culture has affected our church, hasn't it? But at the, you know, and that, and that's normal, but yet, you know, we don't claim to be like this you know, our church is a product of America. Okay. You no, know, but it has had influence on the culture. And so a lot of how we do things, you know, you can see our culture, uh, you know, kind of show. And what's funny too, um, other countries, this is kind of an interesting thing too. Other countries, whenever you find out, you know, I talk to people, uh, that go, that believe like us from other countries that go to Baptist churches, typically their pastor is American. Which I, which I think is interesting uh, how that works. It's like all these missionaries we've been sending all these decades, they haven't gotten any national pastors out there to start churches you know, like ours. It's all still Americans. I always think that's interesting. But you know, before I get into this subject, today's message, the real Reformation, y'all, I, said, I, I do want to state you know, that I am not claiming that the Protestants do not believe in the Reformation that I'm going to be talking about. Or I'm not, and I'm not claiming that the Reformation of 1517 didn't exist, okay? Because there can there can be many different types of reformations uh, that can happen in a lot of different things. But I do want to use this religious holiday to put out a reminder about the real Reformation that took place 2,000 years ago, because people don't talk about this. 
especially in the Baptist world, people do not talk about this Reformation that's specifically mentioned in the Bible, this time of Reformation. In fact, you go to most Baptist churches, you say, what is that time of Reformation? They don't know what it is. They don't even know what was Reformed. They don't know what was Reformed. And, and that's a good question. Let me just ask that right now. Je- you know, The Bible mentions here the time of Reformation. What was Reformed? This is so important to understand what was Reformed, like what entity was reformed and when it was reformed what did that reformation look like what changed what things within that entity that was reformed what things changed these are really important questions that if baptists would look into these things it would really wreck a lot of their bad theology and they would have to start uh probably admitting you know i think i do believe a lot of that replacement theology stuff but, you know, you're not going to hear them talking about this. They'd rather talk about the Martin Luther Reformation. And, and a lot of Baptists will do that, too. It's like they try to connect themselves to it because it's like, you know, the, you know all the trendies are celebrating it and all these Reformed people. And it's like, well, I want in on it, too. Well, I'm, no, I don't have anything to do with that. That's not what we're a part of. So this time of Reformation that Hebrews 9.10 mentions, it is, listen, hear me out. It is the Reformation of Israel. It's the reformation of the Jewish religion. That's what it's a reformation of. There were some serious flaws in that in Israel with the people of God in their religion. And so Jesus Christ had to come and he had to reform it. He had to make some changes. He had to fix some things. That's that's what the reformation was. And so it's important that we understand that. So cuz the 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 final Old Testament prophet before John the Baptist prophesied not long after the restoration of Israel to the land after their 70-year captivity. It, uh, the Malachi, he, uh, he prophesied many things. And not long after the rebuilding of the temple that the Lord was going to send another prophet who would prepare the way of the Lord or the Messiah. Turn over to Malachi chapter 3. It's important that we understand this. Israel, for 400 years, they didn't have a prophet. They didn't get a word from God. And after that 400 years, when John the Baptist shows up on the scene, let's just say they were in a mess during that time. They were not in a good place. The nation of Israel was in a very bad place. They were in their land, but they were under Roman control. The religious leaders were not doing anything God had told them to do. None of the things that they had been commanded and commissioned to do when God brought them back to land, they weren't doing them. They were, they, everything was wrong. They, and we're going to show you exactly what they were supposed to be doing and what they failed to do and why Jesus had to reform that Old Testament Israel or the Old Testament church. And Malachi 3.1 says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messengers of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts, but who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering and righteousness. Not like the offerings that you all have been offering me that you've been offering the lame. That's what he talked about earlier in Malachi. He said, you wouldn't offer these things to your governor, but these are the things that you're offering to me. And Malachi is telling the people of Israel, let me tell you something. The Lord's going to send a prophet. He's going to prepare the way of the Lord. 
when he comes, when the Lord comes, he's going to be like a refiner's fire. He's going to be like a fuller sword. So he's going to clean you people up. And after he cleans you up, look what it says. It says that he may offer unto the Lord an offering and righteousness. Because right now, your offerings are bad. Your offerings are, are corrupt. They're contemptible. God abhors your offerings that you're bringing right now. And he's going to come and he's going to fix these things. And he says, and I will come near to you to judgment and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against false swears and against those that oppress the hireling in his wages, the widow and the fatherless and them that turn aside the stranger from his right and fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts, for I am the Lord. I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. So God because he doesn't change, God didn't consume Jacob during this time. Let me tell you, they deserve to be consumed. They they had it coming, but you know what? God said, "I'm going to send I'm going to send a messenger. He's going to prepare the way of the Lord. Another prophet's going to come that's going to get you people ready to receive the Messiah. And when that Messiah comes, he's going to take care of business. He's going to he's going to clean up those uh, sons of Levi." And you're going to offer a sacrifice like you used to back in days of old, like back in the days of Joshua. Because you're a mess right now, Israel. You're failing, but God is going to send His messenger. And so that's what uh, they were waiting for. And so it took 400 years for this prophecy to be fulfilled. Israel had plenty of time to prepare themselves after being restored to the land. But when John showed up, they rejected John, didn't they? You know what they did? And they did? They killed him. And you know what Jesus said? Yeah, they killed him and they're going to kill me too. They did not. Listen, John did everything he was supposed to do. The people of Israel did nothing that they were supposed to do. They weren't supposed to kill John. That wasn't, that wasn't God's will for them to do that. And so the Messiah preached for three and a half years after John announces, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. The Messiah preaches for three and a half years working on the hearts of these people but when the big day came for the Messiah to fulfill Malachi chapter 3, when the Lord suddenly came into His temple, like prophesied in Malachi chapter 3, like prophesied in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, where He came lowly riding upon an ass in the colt of full of an ass. When He came to do that, He found Israel completely unprepared. That Old Testament church, when the Messiah showed up, had not done anything they were supposed to do. They were not ready. It, they were not prepared. They did not. You know what they didn't have? This is another subject for another day. They didn't have any oil in their lamps. When he showed up, they didn't have any oil in your lamps. You've been letting the pre-trippers teach you some weird stuff about the oil on the lamp thing. And that's another subject for another day. But let me tell you, uh, yeah, they weren't ready. When Jesus showed up, they weren't ready. When that, when that day came. A lot of people want to make that about other things, but Zechariah 9, 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Isaiah chapter 56 and verse 1 says, Thus saith the Lord, Keep ye judgment and do justice, for my salvation is near to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man that doeth this, and the son of man that layeth hold on it, that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it, and keepeth his hand from doing any evil. Neither let the son of the stranger that hath joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord hath utterly separated me from this, his people. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. Folks, this is Old Testament right here. People try to act like 
you know, the gospel going to the whole world and being for the whole world was a New Testament thing. Notice what Jesus is saying right here, or what God's saying right here. Neither let the son of the stranger that has joined himself to the Lord saying, speak, saying, the Lord hath utterly separated me from his people. It looks like people who weren't Gentiles weren't supposed to be separated from the people if they did like they were supposed to then, if they were calling the Lord and they would do the things that they had a way for Gentiles to be a part of the people of God during that time. They had that back then. I'm not going to go into that. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. We see when the law was originally given that if people had certain physical flaws and things that they weren't able to bring sacrifices. But during this time, when God was going to... When they had a reformation back after the Babylonian captivity, God gave them some new things that they were supposed to do. And the eunuch was supposed to be able to come too. He wasn't supposed to be separated from it. It says, For thus saith the Lord unto the eunuchs that keep my Sabbaths and choose the things that please me, that take hold of my covenant... Even unto them will I give in mine house and within my walls a place and a name better than of the sons and of the daughters. Sounds like they not only were they going to be equal with the physical seed, they were going to be better. That's that's what God said. Um, that says, uh, lost my spot. Oh yeah, and I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And also the sons of the stranger that join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord to be his servants. Everyone that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it and taking hold of my covenant, even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar. For mine house shall be called an house of prayer for all people. The Lord God, which gathereth the outcasts of Israel, saith, Yet will I gather others to him besides those that are gathered unto him. Remember what Jesus said when he went into the temple, when he came to fulfill that prophecy, and he went in there, and he drove them out of the temple? He, folks, he didn't accept it. He drove them out of the temple. He started cracking the whip. He's turning over the tables. And what did he do? He quoted this passage, and he said, My house should be called of, of, of all nations a house of prayer. But ye have made it into a den of thieves. People, they, they make that just about the fact they were selling things. But it wasn't just that. It was not the fact that they were just selling things. It was the fact that they weren't allowing the, any other people to come there. Not only were they not doing what God had told them to do, but they were doing something that was also forbidden at the same time. We often focus on what they were doing that was forbidden, but Jesus was also upset at what they weren't doing that they had been commanded to do. And you know what they had done? They had shut people out of the kingdom. That was not what they were supposed to do. That was not what God commanded. And folks, there's a ton of Old Testament prophecy on this, but it's it's all stuff that's you know around the captivity time and after that. And everybody in the preacher world they want to make this about stuff in the future. No, this was stuff that was supposed to take place back then. In Zechariah eight verse twenty, we see the Jews were supposed to be a light to the world. But under the old covenant, them being a light to the world, it meant them being a light there in Jerusalem. It was under the new covenant where we were called to take that light to the whole world. But back then, Jerusalem was supposed to be that light. But folks, they failed miserably. They shut people out. They failed to let that light shine. And now under the new covenant... And I, and I'm, you know, this is kind of just a, a separate note on that. That's one of the things that changed 
is we don't have a central location somewhere and a light in one place. No, we take the light to the world. That's why, you know, church, we don't, this is not our main place of evangelism right here. Our main place of evangelism is outside these doors. A lot of churches are going back to an Old Testament kind of mindset where if you want to get saved, you come to the church and we'll show you how to get saved here. And, you know, I'm all for people getting saved in church. But I think you'll get a lot more done if you do like we're supposed to and we take that light to the world. Ladies and gentlemen, there's been a reformation. That's how we do it now. That's how we do it under this reformation. And I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. But Zechariah 8.20 says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, it shall come to pass that there shall come people and the inhabitants of many cities. And the inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go speedily to pray before the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I will go also. Yea, many people in strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, In those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. And a lot of people are taking this passage too, and I don't have time to show how this this prophecy was contingent. There is a contingency in the book of Zechariah. This is what God's will was. This is what God wanted. God wanted Israel being a light. And God said, these things will come to pass if you'll do what I tell you to do. If Israel would have done what God said to do, you know what? People would have been coming to the Jews and they wouldn't have been a despised people anymore. They would have been a people people come to and say, hey, we've heard the Lord is with you. We're going with you. We're coming with you to Jerusalem. That was what they were supposed to do, but they were not a light. We see when Jesus came, they were the most prejudiced. They were the most racist people on the planet. They couldn't even handle. They hated. They despised Samaritans, people that were, you know, half Jew and part Gentile. They had a very superior attitude. That didn't come from God. That wasn't something that God commanded. Jesus rebuked them for shutting up the kingdom of heaven. He rebuked them for that. This is not what they were supposed to do. Isaiah 60 verse 1 says, Arise, shine, for thy light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Lift up thine eyes round about, and see, all they gather themselves together, they come to thee, thy son shall come from far, thy daughter shall be nursed at thy side. And thou shalt see and flow together, and thine heart shall fear and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee. The forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. The multitude of camels shall cover thee. The dromedaries of Midian and Ephah, all they from Sheba will come. They shall bring gold and incense. They shall show forth the praises of the Lord. We, and we could go on and on just showing how it was prophesied that the Gentiles were going to come to Jerusalem, and they were going to be a part of the things of God. But what happened when the Messiah showed up? What happened? Matthew 21, verse 10 says, And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. Why didn't he purify the sons of Levi? They were a wreck, folks. They had not prepared themselves. He threw them out. 
And he said to them, it is written, my house should be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. The people who they were shutting out. The people that, you know, like the eunuch, he's not supposed to say I'm a dry tree. I can't go. He drove those people out. They're in leadership. But when the blind and the lame came to him, you know what he did? He healed those people. You know, you know what Jesus was doing here? Jesus was doing everything Israel was supposed to do and failed to do. Jesus, Jesus did it. Jesus was fulfilling these prophecies. All these prophecies that we see in the Old Testament for Israel, it got fulfilled through Israel because Jesus was from Israel. But folks, it was through Jesus Christ. He gets the credit, folks, not the Jews. The Old Testament prophecies have been fulfilled, but they've been fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And that's why we lift him up. That's why we glorify him and not in ethnicity. It says in the uh, uh, chief priest and the scribe saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. And they were sore displeased. Hosanna means, oh, save. They're calling on him for salvation. This is a good thing. And he said unto them, hearest thou what these say? And Jesus saith unto them, ye have, have ye never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? And he left them and went out of the city into Bethany and he lodged there. Now in the morning he returned into the city and he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon, but leaves only and said unto it, let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever. And presently the fig tree wither away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled saying, how soon is this fig tree withered away? You know what that fig tree was? That fig tree was a picture of Israel. Jesus went into the temple and after he saw how they had done when it came to doing their part, Jesus walked out of that temple. And you know what he did? He saw that fig tree. And folks, the Bible didn't just throw the story in there for nothing. You say, well, you know, what's the significance of that? I'll tell you what the significance was. He expected to find fruit in Israel and they didn't have any. There was no fruit. You know why? Because they were shutting people out of the kingdom. They themselves were not even saved. There was no fruit. And you know what? He cursed them. And he said, let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever until the end of you know, the tribulation. And then Israel's going to take off again. No, that's not what he said. He said forever. Forever. Listen, that Old Testament Israel that was an, that was an ethnic people that had a physical location, that had a physical temple, folks, God is done with them. Okay? He, he, he finished. That's completed. That's over. It has been reformed. We see in Matthew 23, 13, it says, but Jesus speaking, but woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. You've got people that want to go in, but you won't let them. You won't let them go in because they were ignoring the things that God said to do in Isaiah and Jeremiah and with all those prophets that he sent. And they're trying to follow a letter of a law from you know Deuteronomy and things that they weren't even capable of keeping. They completely rejected the word of God. Israel failed as a people to be that light. But notice, even though they failed, Jesus Christ did come and fulfill these things on his own. The prophecies were still fulfilled through Christ. And the Bible couldn't be more clear that salvation was always going to come through the Son of God, Jesus Christ, but the law still had to be given 
to show the people their transgressions so they would see their need for a savior. God always knew how this was going down and evidence is throughout the Old Testament that God knew exactly how it was going to go down, but God still gave them a law, didn't he? God still gave them a way to obtain righteousness. I mean, folks, if you keep the law, then why would you go to hell? So God gave it to them, but you say, well, you know, why even give it? Again, to show that we need a Savior. To prove that we are not worthy of salvation. To point us to Jesus Christ. That's why He gave all those sacrifices. It wasn't so people could go to heaven through those things. It was to point to what God was going to do someday through His Son to bring salvation. And that's why Galatians 3.19 says, Wherefore then serveth the law. What was the point? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to which the promise was made. The promises of the Old Testament were to the seed, Jesus Christ. And it was ordained by angels in the hands of a mediator. So uh, I think there could be. Some, I think there should be something for the people. You know, you know. There, are you saying there's something wrong with God's law? I'm not saying that at all. In fact, Hebrews covers this. Eight, chapter eight, verse seven says, "For if the first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them." Let me tell you something about that Old Testament. It's perfect. But let me tell you something about a covenant. It takes two, doesn't it? And while the covenant was perfect, the people were not. And so the old covenant can't save anybody because we can't live up to it. We can't do it. So that, but if it had been faultless and the fault was with them, we wouldn't need a second. But finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant. And I regarded them not, saith the Lord, for this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. The death of Jesus Christ is what brought in that new and better covenant. And when the new covenant came, we don't see... Jesus casting people away from the old covenant that were in the old covenant. Okay. Because in Jesus, he didn't cast away the people of God who are of faith. And that's what Hebrews is nine is all about. We don't have time to go through all of it is he was showing how the one sacrifice that he made took care of everyone in the future and everyone in the past. Also, the writer of Hebrews is making sure we know that while those sacrifices couldn't cleanse anybody, just understand that sacrifice that Jesus made gave those people the cleansing that they needed. It wasn't Abraham's, you know, uh, sheep or you know, lamb that he sacrificed that saved him. It was Jesus Christ. He's going to be in heaven because of what Jesus Christ, did, and that's what the rest of chapter nine is all about. And so, God did not cast away those people, but you know what He did do? He did reform them. And so the New Testament church, it's not necessarily this brand new thing. What it is, it's the Old Testament church reformed is what it is. We, that's, we're the same thing. There's just some differences now. We don't have a continuing city. We seek one to come. We don't have a temple made with hands that we all look to. Our body is the temple. We don't have a physical high priest that offers sacrifice for us. Jesus Christ is our high priest. That already did that sacrifice for us. 
We are not a people that is about a physical circumcision and a physical covenant. We're about a circumcision that's on the heart. That's what, that's what, how it is under the new covenant. It's not about Jew. It's not about tribes. It's not about those things anymore. What it is, it's about faith. And so God does not regard the physical lineage of somebody anymore. In fact, it says he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. But he is that's one inwardly. It's that circumcision, not of a letter, but of the heart. That is all a part of the new covenant. That is what's reformed. It's not that God got a new people. He reformed the people that he did have. And all those who are of faith have always been preserved. And we are a part of that today. And, you know, in our, this church that we have, it's built on the foundation of the, you know, the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, the people of the Old Testament, they are a part of the same building that we are a part of. They are the foundation, but did you know too, they're kind of a minority, just like we see in Revelation 7, where you see the 144,000 of Israel, but then you see with the Gentiles, a multitude that no man can number of all nations. We're, we're a vast majority of it. That's that church reform, folks. It's not just about one people anymore. It's not about a race, and it's never going back to being about a race. I just heard a preacher today talk about all prophecies about Israel. No, that's what he said. All prophecies about Israel. And on one hand, I agree with him. The, what I disagree with him on is what is Israel? Okay, what he should say is all prophecy is about the people of God. And so understand, when we're looking at the Old Testament, you know, and they were the people of God, those things were about them. But you know what? They're not the people of God anymore by physical lineage. We're the people of God now. And the New Testament spells that out for us. So when we look at these prophecies that are geared towards the people of God, if we go to the Old Testament and we see prophecies that are about the people of God, that, and they're ones that have not been fulfilled yet, it's okay for us to include ourselves in there. Because it's, we're still the people of God, but then what they do, they get up and they start talking about the differences. I'm going to prove to you that the church and Israel aren't the same thing. And then what they do, they go, you know, Israel, they had a, t a physical temple. Church doesn't. You know, they go through all these differences. And it's like, I don't think you realize what you're saying here. So I agree with every one of those differences. But here's the thing. Why the differences? Why aren't we sacrificing anymore? Why isn't it about ethnicity? Why isn't it about all these things? You know why? Because God reformed these things. There was a reformation. Folks, if it's not that, what was the reformation? And folks, it's very clear what he's talking about. I'm not guessing what it is. You read the book of Hebrews, it tells us exactly what it is. And let me tell you something. Let me just give you one example. Our ancestry, spiritually speaking, okay, first off, it's not connected to the Catholic Church in any way, shape, or form. But let me tell you, it is connected to the church in the wilderness. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians. Corinthians. Are there, does that sound like a Jewish bunch of people right there? Or does that sound like a Gentile church? Okay. I, I mean, I don't care how hardcore dispensational you are. They're all going to agree this is a Gentile church he's talking to here. No doubt about it. Moreover, brethren, verse 1, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Uh, that proves they were Jews, I guess. I mean, you believe that King James Bible, you know, you, you got to believe because he's talking about the Jews. It was it was Israel that came out. He said, all our fathers. There's no doubt these are Gentiles. He's speaking spiritually here, isn't he? He said, for them, um, and we're all baptized into Moses. 
in the cloud and in the sea, and they did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. You know what it says in Hebrews or Ephesians 2.19? Talking, who, who do you think the Ephesians were? We think those are Jews. Was he talking to a Gentile church? He says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, or Gentiles or Goyim or whatever they want to call us, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Sounds like we're a part of the same building. It sounds like we're a part of the same people. Well, but what's with all these differences? Reformation. The Reformation. Jesus changed things. And let me tell you, you know when that Reformation happened? You know when the Israel was reformed? You want to know when the church of the wilderness was reformed? You want to know who did the Reformation? It wasn't the Jews. It wasn't about the people. It was Jesus Christ. He did it on the cross. Jesus Christ reformed Israel. He reformed the church on the cross. And when He did, He brought in, and all these are from Hebrews, not going to look them up, He brought in a better hope, a better testament, a better covenant, better promises, better sacrifices, better substance, a better country, a better resurrection, a better thing, a more perfect high priest, or a more perfect tabernacle, and a greater high priest. That all came in with that reformation. The folks, what we got today is so much better than what they had back then. You know why? Because Jesus came and reformed it. And while we got a bunch of just, you know, these, you know, Calvinist leaning, a bunch of these reformed so-called Christians wanting to celebrate Martin Luther going and nailing his 95 thesis to a Catholic church wall in Wittenberg. You know what we're going to do today on Reformation Day? We're going to celebrate Jesus Christ nailing the handwriting of ordinances that was against us on his cross. They're excited about that, that 95 thesis, uh, you know, protesting the sale of indulgences, which clearly was a really bad thing. But you know what? If you weren't under Catholic control and territory, you could be fine. But you know something that had all of us? The law. The law nails all of us. Those ordinances are against us. Though They were a curse to us. Because we're cursed if we continue not in all things. And Colossians 2.13 says, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Now, why did he bring up circumcision in the flesh when he's talking to the Colossians? Probably not Jews too. Why did he bring that up? Oh, I was just for the Jews. No, the law is for anybody. The law, the law is for everybody. Why did he bring up the uncircumcision of their flesh? Why did he bring up all these things that they had failed their, their trespasses? You know why? Because all of us have to have those things or we have to uh, have the same salvation. There's only one way to get into heaven and the Jews don't have another way. The Jews don't have another door. And so all the, these things, if the Jews weren't able to get in under that old covenant, what makes us think we're going to get in under the old covenant? We're not. Everybody gets in under the new covenant and it says, having forgiven you all trespasses. So thank God we've been forgiven because we've messed up everything in the first covenant. And then notice what he says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us and was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let me tell you something. Martin Luther, he might have reformed some things 
you know, and cause division in the Catholic Church. He didn't fix the Catholic Church. That's for sure. But let me tell you, when Jesus did something so much better and he nailed that old covenant to his cross, you know what it did? It gave all of us hope. It, it fixed everything that needed to be fixed. And now, and, and the church has been reformed. Now we can actually have that salvation. We can enjoy that salvation. We can share that salvation with anybody. We're able to take that light to all the world and anyone who will listen, they can have it. That all came through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ fulfilled those things. Everything that we see in the Old Testament where the Jews failed, those prophecies were still fulfilled because Jesus Christ took care of those things. And so that's the difference. That is, folks, that's replacement theology right there. It's not even that we replaced that okay, the, the Old Testament church. No, we, God reformed it. He fixed it. He took, he took care of it. And we are a part of that. And what these people are calling Judaism today is nothing more than a fraud. It's, it's nothing more than a, a fraud. And we are a part of the real thing. And I'm thankful to be a part of that. And you know what? I just I can't even imagine celebrating something is inferior to the real Reformation. When we've got the real Reformation, that we have no holiday really. I mean, I guess you can count, you know, Easter. But you know, we we make it more about the resurrection, not instead of the all the things that changed in the law, all the things that were reformed. It just it seems ridiculous to celebrate. Something like that, if you call yourself a Christian at all. This is so much better what Jesus did. And I'm thankful to be a part of the Reformed church that was in the wilderness. That's what we are. We are, we are that, we are the, we're a Reformed, we're a Reformed church. Not a, but, a, but when I say that, <laughs> let me clarify. We are, a reformed, we've been reformed of that Old Testament church, not the Catholic church. We are not the Catholic church reformed. We are not a Protestant church reformed. We are that Old Testament church in the wilderness that has been reformed under the new covenant. And I thank God to be a part of that. And I can, and you say, well, show me your history right here. It's called New Testament. That's our history. This is where we get our practices. This is where we learn these things. And I don't really give a rip what a bunch of former priests and dudes in dresses said throughout history. I don't really care. I got something better. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word and just the hope it gives us. And Lord, I just pray that uh, you'll uh, use this message to just encourage folks in the fact that, Lord, that uh, you have taken care of everything for us. And if anything, Lord, this is just a reminder to give you the glory for absolutely everything, Lord, our salvation. Is 100% because of what you did for us. And I pray it help us to wake people up to uh, what the real Reformation is. And I pray that we won't try fixing the Catholic Church. And uh, it's sad seeing people go back to that and get closer connected to that. But we'll always remain separate from that and realize we, uh, that uh, what we need we can find in your word. And that we'll just try to stay connected as closely as we can to that. In your name we pray. Amen.